Good. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Um, so, so this Sunday and every Sunday, uh, we proclaim the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, of whom Scripture, scripture says of Christ that he was God in the flesh, that God lived among us, that he died as on a cruel Roman cross to absorb the hatred and the sin of the world. And uh, he was buried in a tomb and on the third day rose to life. We believe that in doing this, Jesus conquered sin and death and became the first fruits of a great resurrection that is still to come. A restoration of all things that will one day uh, cause the entire world and universe to be renewed. And all who have come to faith in Christ to be raised to life. This is our faith. But it doesn't seem in all, in, you know, for, for many who have a kind of medical, um, kind of rational 21st century mind, for a lot of people they struggle to put their head around this truth of Jesus' resurrection. And even, if, even though you, you may believe it here or watching online, and some of you may struggle with it as well, but though you may believe it, you might feel a little awkward telling others about the resurrection of Jesus. You might even be a little embarrassed about the doctrine because it's so hard to explain. So today we're asking the question, why resurrection? Why is this event so important? Why should I believe it? And why should I share it with others? And this morning, in the next 25 minutes or so, I hope to bring you to a place of not only not feeling awkward or embarrassed about the bodily resurrection of Christ, but understanding why we ought to joyfully declare it as the hope of the world. So here we go. You ready? A lot of ground to cover. Let's go. First of all, the resurrection is important because it was believed by the first Christians. It's what was believed at the very beginning. And so we're going we're gonna to jump down, drop down in a few places in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. The whole chapter is an amazing treatment of the resurrection of Christ. But we're, we're just going to read a few verses throughout. So we're starting this morning at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which was received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, gospel means good news, by this good news, this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now that phrase means here comes a creed statement, a statement of belief. I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, as to one abnormally born. So, as Paul writes this, he first of all, he gives us this creedal statement of the gospel. Here's what we as Christians believe. He's saying this is what has been taught, this is what we believe. Um, and, uh, and so he, he, he speaks of the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus who appeared to a number, and he, and he lists a number of significant people that were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, also, um, each of the four Gospels share, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, share eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And I would suggest to you that, um, at least in my perspective, the, the initial confusion and disbelief that we read about in the Gospels gives almost a greater sense of reality and truth to the accounts. I mean, don't, don't you think these guys would want to say, yeah, we knew that was going to happen right? We saw it coming. We heard what Jesus said. We, but that's not what, what's written. It, we, we have this account that the women are going to the tomb to treat the body as embalming it and, and spicing it so it doesn't smell of decay. They're going to treat the body. And when they get there, they don't find the body. It's, the tomb is empty. And their initial response is sorrow until they're told that Jesus has risen and they actually encounter the risen Christ. So then they run back to the other disciples, to Peter and the others, it says in the Gospels, run back to the other disciples who totally don't believe them. First women preachers, that's right. Um, and, and they run back and the disciples don't believe them. And until Jesus appears among them later and they see him with their eyes, then they believe him. And then we're told in the Gospels that Thomas wasn't there. And so a week later, you know, we really pick on Thomas, right? This, the, the doubting Thomas. But the other disciples didn't believe either until they saw Jesus. It's kind of unfair to Thomas, isn't it? But, but then a week later, Jesus shows up again and Thomas sees him and Jesus says, touch my hands, touch my side. It's me, not just a, a ghost or an apparition, but me in the flesh. And Thomas drops to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. We have one of the greatest declarations of Jesus' divinity out of the, out of the, the soil of doubt isn't that beautiful? Right? And, and so I would say that the, the initial 
confusion and disbelief add a layer of reality to the story of Christ's resurrection. And it was the genuine belief that Jesus was truly alive that propelled this early Christian movement forward. How else can anyone explain that this group that goes from a tiny sect of a tiny religion in a flyspeck of a, of, of, a, of a land on the outskirts of the empire within 300 years, in spite of brutal persecution, becomes the dominant social force in the entire Roman Empire. How does that happen? Not because these guys you know, came up with a hoax to tell everybody Jesus was alive, but they truly believed that Jesus was alive and with them. <clears throat> the resurrection is important because it is supported by strong historical and forensic emphasis. Are you ready to get CSI with me today? All right? First of all, <clears throat> the medically accurate description of Jesus' death tells us that Jesus did not just pass out and get revived later as some people have claimed. We're told in John chapter 19, verse 32, starting in verse 32, it says this, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first um, criminal beside Jesus, on, on the cross beside him, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. So this was recorded medical evidence of Jesus' Clinical death was recorded so that we might believe, John says. And when this soldier, who by the way, these soldiers, these professional soldiers were experts in crucifixion, experts at what they did, they knew not only how to torture and kill, but they knew how to tell if someone was indeed dead. And they took a spear and punctured his pericardial sac, which was a membrane that, which is a membrane that surrounds our heart, and and where um, the fluid would gather after death, and in order for the red blood cells and the plasma to be separated as it was to come out of his side as blood to be perceived as blood and water, he would have had to be dead medically for at least an hour. Jesus was not faking it. He wasn't passed out. He was dead. Secondly, all the enemies of Christ needed to do if they wanted to prove that he was not raised from the dead was to produce a body. Um, and, if, and surely the combined investigative power of the influential Sanhedrin, Jewish leaders, along with their own security forces and the assigned Roman guard, surely they were no match for this ragtag group of frightened disciples that were hiding in a locked room. Surely, if there was a body, 
it would have been found. Thirdly, the Roman guard. The, the, the leaders, the religious leaders went to Pilate following Jesus' death and they said to Pilate, these disciples say that Jesus would be raised from the dead. We don't want them pulling some kind of hoax. So help us out here. And Pilate says, here, take a, take a guard and post it by the, the tomb and make it as secure as you know how. Now, when Pilate said, take a guard, he didn't mean one dude standing with a sword by the, cave, by the, the, the tomb. He, a Roman guard was at least, was up to 16 soldiers. Four soldiers guarding in four shifts. These are 16 professional soldiers guarding the tomb. They didn't fall asleep. They weren't knocked in the head by some goofy disciples. They were knocked to the ground by the revelation of the glory of God. Fourthly, um, Paul writes in the passage that we read there, that there were over 500 witnesses who saw Jesus resurrected, standing in front of them all at once, and he makes the point of saying, many of them are still alive. In other words, he's saying, I dare you to go and, and ask. I, I dare you to go and talk to them because they will corroborate my story that Jesus was seen in front of them. This wasn't uh, an apparition or a vision of some, uh, you know, two or three hopeful disciples, but this was the real living Christ. Next, uh, the change in Jesus' brothers, Jude and James. We are told all through the Gospels that Jesus' family, and particularly his brothers, mocked him and did not believe he was who he said he was. Even the week before Jesus went to the cross, they were mocking him and saying, uh, you know, that, that, you know, go show yourself to the world if you're, you are who you think you are. And, and, um, and, and yet afterwards, we're, we're told by this passage we read from Paul that Jesus appeared to James, meaning Jesus' own brother. And now we have James and Jude, two of Jesus' brothers, who actually write books of the Bible because they have become followers of Christ. How do you explain that transformation, right? Um, the boldness of the first Christ followers. Again, how do you explain that these people who were frightened, fearful, hiding behind, hiding in a locked room for fear of their own lives after Jesus had been, had been crucified, all of a sudden, just a couple weeks later, a few weeks later, they're in the temple preaching the gospel, getting right in the face of the religious leaders who could have had them killed too, pointing their finger in their face and read it in Acts chapter 3. Peter says, you killed the author of life. How do you get that bold? Right? Because he knew that Jesus was alive. 
Um, Next, the willingness of the apostles to suffer and die for their claim. Eleven of the twelve apostles we know were martyred for their faith in gruesome deaths. And the one that wasn't, John, he was just boiled in oil. Just just boiled in oil. And James, Jesus' brother, was stoned to death. And many other early disciples were killed for their faith. If they were perpetrating a hoax, don't you think somebody would have cracked? Somebody would have said, no, just kidding. You know, we know where his body is. But they were willing to die for their faith and their belief that Jesus had been raised. And lastly, the awareness in the early church that we read all through the early writings, not just in the scriptures, but all through the early writings of the church. Um, the, the, uh, the awareness that they knew and sensed among them of the presence of the living Christ. I want to suggest to you in the last year, we've had a number of people come to Jesus. I I want to tell you that in the last year, we've had a number of people come to Jesus. I want to suggest to you that it's because they have encountered the living Christ. It is important. The resurrection is important because the rest of our faith hangs on it. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, Paul writes this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, resurrection for us. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, All of our faith hangs on this one truth. Verse 15, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. So Paul is saying everything about the Christian faith hangs on this truth. Jesus was raised from the dead. You take that out, everything crumbles. And the fact that the church of Jesus has not shriveled, has not shrunk, has not disappeared, but in 2,000 years has become, still is on the earth, the greatest social force on the earth today. It may not feel like it in your context, but let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is exploding around the world uh, and and three-fifths of the world are followers of Jesus. That's pretty amazing. This is not some small movement. It is the social movement on the earth. Why? Because it's true. 
<clears throat> All right. Lastly, it is important because it is the first blush of the great renewal of all things. Jesus is, the Scripture says here, says in verse, <clears throat> verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, the hope, the hope of the early church was not that when they died, they would go to heaven. Now, that's true, but it's only a partial truth. Because going to heaven when we die is a waiting place for what is yet to come. It's like if you went on a vacation, you booked a big vacation to go, let's say, to Rome. Anybody want to go to Rome? No? Nobody wants to go to Rome? I want to go to Rome. Okay, I don't know where you want to go, but wherever it is. Um, Israel, there you go. You book a trip to Israel. Oh, we got a few more takers. Okay, you book a trip to Israel, and you get to the airport in Tel Aviv. And you're like, yes, we're here. We're in Israel. And for the next two weeks, you live in the airport. Like that Tom Hanks movie. Right? Anybody watch that? Way back? You live in the airport for two weeks, and then you go home saying, oh, I, that was, I got to go to Israel. Right? See, the hope of the early church was not that they would go to heaven when they died, but that when Jesus returned, they would be resurrected as Christ was, and that all of creation would be made new and transformed, that death and decay would be no more, and we would live forever in the presence of God here on the earth with a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies that will never die. That's worth a hallelujah, right? The res and Jesus, the scripture says Jesus is the first fruits. His resurrection was what made all of the rest of it possible. And his resurrection was just a taste of all that is to come. Wow. Why is the, why is the resurrection of Jesus important? It is everything, folks. It is the beginning of the, of the renewal of all things that God is going to bring about. That is the goal. That's what God has been up to ever since Adam and Eve and before. Since the original creation, God had in mind the final recreation. And all of history and all of this has been moving us towards that great moment and that great event hallelujah and paul writes in here i love in verse i think it's 37 
Nope, it's 27. Nope, it's 20. I'll find it, I'll find it. 35 to 37. But someone, yeah, here we are. But someone will ask, so Paul's saying, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Right? So what is the resurrection going to look like? He says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. So Paul is giving us the picture here that these bodies are like seeds. So I have a picture of a, a maple key. I used to love maple keys when I was a kid, right? Fun. Um, but a ma- little maple key and a great maple tree. And the difference between this little seed and this mighty tree, Paul is saying, is like the difference between this, this mortal body and, and what Jesus is going to make of you when resurrection comes. Isn't that cool? It's an amazing picture he gives us. And so, folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the, the worship team to come on back up. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to I just declare to you and with you today that Jesus' resurrection is so powerful and so meaningful and so important because it's true, because it is our hope in this world, and it is our hope for the world that is coming. It is the hope of the world. We need not be shy about it, embarrassed about it, awkward about it. We serve a risen Savior. He is alive. And we are grateful today to be able to stand in His presence. And if you are with us today in this room, if you're joining us today online, and you know, if you still have questions, I've, I've, I've declared the truth of Jesus' resurrection, but I uh, but there, there may be some of you who still have questions, and that's okay. You're on a journey, and God is, I believe God is leading you. He's drawing you. He's calling you to come to know Him. Not just to know some factual statement, but to know the One who was raised, who is raised. And, uh, and so today, as we conclude our, our time together, I want to encourage you, don't stop seeking. Don't stop digging for the truth. Because the truth will lead you to the truth. Jesus is the truth. And I, I want to encourage you to, to keep digging, keep searching. But if you're ready today, if you've been watching this, and you've been challenged, and you've been encouraged, and, and you've been on a journey, and you're ready today to make a commitment to Jesus, I want to tell you it will be the most important vital commitment you can make in your lives. I want to pray with you, and then we're going to sing one last song of celebration, declaring that we can 
we can face all things because he lives. So God, I thank you that you are with us today by, by your presence, by the presence of the risen Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are with us today. I thank you that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he is alive and that he is our risen king. We want to give you praise and thanks for all that you have won. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over decay. And that God, you are, you are on track to bring this entire world into a new state of renewal. We give you thanks. God, those that are watching, those that are here today, if, the, if there's anyone who's just ready to take that step of faith, to cross that line of faith, God, I pray that today they would say, I believe. They would say, I want to trust in Jesus who died for me and was raised again for me and who is coming again for me. I pray that you would lead them to that place of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this declaration because he lives. <laughs>